0: that's really big like it's really not about getting rid of the fear it's the awareness that you're describing is what's so critically important so once i'm able to identify for myself like oh okay this is that fear that is that fear voice that's that mean inner critic voice that's trying to tell me to do this thing or not do this thing that awareness becomes a pivotal point where i now get to engage my consciousness and make a conscious choice
1: Welcome to CEO School. We're your hosts, Suneera Madani and Shannon Monson, and we believe that you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue, and we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who have made it to the 2% Club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so that you can do it too. You're a real business now. Class is officially in session. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for this week's episode and to interview one of my most favorite people in the world, Laura Gallagher. Laura is actually my personal coach. And so it's just so incredible for me to have on um, a woman that I have been, that has been coaching me through my entire seven years of an like of being an entrepreneur. And Laura has just taught me just incredible, incredible concepts and just tools to really tackle my abilities as a leader and how I show up on a day-to-day basis.
0: And so I'm so excited to introduce to you to my coach, Laura. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you, Sunira. I'm so excited to be on the show with you. And oh my gosh, I can't believe how many years it's been. We've been working. I know together. it. It really has been. It's been. I think it's in six and a
1: half years since Fat Merchant, and we were introduced through just the Orlando community. And I never thought that I would ever actually hire an organizational psychologist for our company. And this was a concept that was super foreign to me. Definitely, self development was always something that was part of my life, whether it came from books or from seminars and from other coaches and uh, just from consuming as much content as possible. But I never really thought about what a organizational coach could do for our entire company in goal setting and planning and really just around effective communication for our team to really help us Become the best leaders that we can, which then in turn helps us become the best company that we are. So, Laura, for the audience, if you can kind of talk a little bit about your background, tell us who you are, how you became an organizational psychologist, and what do you do?
0: Absolutely. Well, so I studied psychology in school, and then I was trying to decide what to do. And somebody said, you know, you can study anything you want. Um, if you add the phrase at work at the end of it, if you study organizational psych, and I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. So I came out to Florida to study organizational psychology in my PhD program. And then I was only a couple years into that when um, I was given the chance to go work for NASA at Kennedy Space Center. So I was almost embarrassingly uh, oblivious to NASA's mission. and um, But I was aware, of course, of the Space Shuttle Columbia tragedy in 2003, and what the report found was that culture was as much to blame for the accident as the piece of foam that actually struck the orbiter during the launch. So I was I was hired by Dr. Philip Mead, who is actually now my business partner with Gallagher Edge. And we worked together. I was there for about eight years. We were there transforming culture and just maintaining a constant presence because this kind of stuff is you can't just go one and done with culture. It's a It's a constant journey. So I was there. And then I worked briefly for Disney, so that was a very, very different vibe and environment than I had at NASA. But I started my company, Gallagher Edge, in 2013, and I've been working with a lot of tech companies, but really all kinds of different industries. And you know, as I was saying a moment ago, primarily working with leaders like you, leaders who understand how important the people are, understand how important culture is, and just are looking for that help to say, okay, so help me understand culture a little bit differently. Help me understand people in a more deep sense. Okay. So, so many questions. You have such an impressive background going from NASA to Disney
1: being such a big part of Um, just their organizational cultures there. And I definitely want to go back to the NASA story in a second and then starting your own company and helping other companies. That's what you do is you help other companies have culture from the inside out and have values that the company can stand behind so that you have a strong environment. And the people really are just, they jive so incredibly well that business actually becomes easy. And this concept of having this organizational psychologists come into an organization and really understand each and every single like pivotal team member, understanding what even culture should look like. Cause everyone, every, every company has different core values. Every company has different cultures. What is important to that organization and how, you know, you can ensure that all the, there's like just team cohesiveness. I've just, I've been so blown away by what you've been able to accomplish. And I want to get into details about that as well, of like what you do that really helps these teams um, and some tactical tips that our audience. Can take away, especially for those that have small teams, may not have like large teams. So many things to talk about. So (laughs) pumped to have you, Laura. Let's go back and talk about your NASA experience and talking about what happened, the incident with uh, Columbus, and why would NASA hire you guys, and what what happened? Like, what did
0: you guys find? Well, so you used a phrase that I really love, right? Which is everything is from the inside out. And so, what's so challenging? So we define culture as an emergent property. Um, of an organization based on the interactions of the behaviors and beliefs of the individual employees. So the fact that it's an emergent property, part of what's so tricky about that is that you can't really work on it directly, and you also can't work on the individual pieces and parts and, and pretend to know that. Yep, you know, we're just going to add these things together. It's really about understanding that it's a complex system. So whenever I speak about the NASA story, I always like to caveat it by saying that you know, on a podcast like this where we're going to spend a few minutes talking about it, there's no way that I'm going to fully capture the complexity of everything that was going on. But one of the things that's so crazy about it is that NASA is regularly recognized as one of the best places to work in the federal government. Like, it actually scores number one most years when they do their survey of the entire government. And- it, people are really dedicated there. I mean, we're talking about literal rocket scientists and you know, NASA has the ability to really attract amazing talent. And people, I think the statistic is like tens of thousands of hours of paid annual leave is donated back to the government by NASA because people don't use their vacation. That's how committed they are to the mission. And so when you hear that, you're like, wow, they are crushing it. So how how in that kind of environment can you still have such flawed decision-making that actually is life and death, right? That's where it becomes so complex. And so, you know, again, it's an oversimplification, but if we look at it really on three levels, Uh, at the organizational level, there were things about the design of um, the organization that contributed to the accident. Specifically, you had the functions of like safety and engineering. Safety and engineering are the ones who are going to be calling out when there are major anomalies, when there are risks, but they were actually buried underneath the program when you talk about the org design, you know, so you think about like an org chart. That means that safety and engineering don't have the same seat at the table when it comes to making these really critical decisions. And it's also not really fair to look at the shuttle managers and say, well, you're supposed to weigh all those things equally because they're not. They're in charge of managing the program, which is driven by schedule and budget. And so you've just got a fundamental flaw in the design. And one of the things we say is that organizations are designed to get the exact results they get. So that was one of the the key things that happened was a a reorganization um, at Kennedy Space Center. Engineering and safety were pulled out of the programs. They had their own senior executive service directors. They had a seat at the table on, when I was there, we called it the fourth floor. You know, that's where the highest officials were um, at headquarters. And so that was one piece of it. How are we designing the organization that is impacting the way that decisions are made and the way that information is flowing? Um, on a team level, from communication standpoint, um, I, I want to
1: kind of pause there really quick, Laura. on it's it's
0: so crazy. Just even just
1: the structure and team organization, even if you have a small team or a large team, it's so important to have the team organized in a way that they're communicating with each other and that they have the right roles and responsibilities. So even for the audience that's listening that is going through, you know team building or even has a team to really think about the structures of their team and not just taking it for the uh, function of what the team does, but really, is it actually working for your organization?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge thing. We're very, as humans, we really pay a lot of attention to our environment. I mean, we have a ton of individual differences, but we look at the environment and we make a lot of assumptions, tell ourselves a lot of stories about how we're supposed to be, or who we're supposed to talk to, or what decisions we can or cannot make. And so unless we make those things pretty explicit, we're going to stumble all over each other. And so that's a big part of that process is like, let's just get really intentional and clear about this. Um, And so that was true at the organizational level. And then at the team level, the main thing that I I highlight is, um, you know, one of the senior leaders was quoted after the accident and after understanding some of the, the cultural implications. He said, you know, we just as managers, we were not listening as well as we needed to. Um, And as you can imagine, like the shuttle is one of the most complex systems ever created by human beings. And so there's always numerous anomalies that the engineering and safety teams are trying to figure out. And so it's like, they're always trying to wade through so much information and data. And now imagine you've got this technical person who's trying to explain to somebody who's maybe not as technical, hey, you know, we have a concern about that foam strike. We don't know exactly where it hit and data and simulation show that maybe it could be catastrophic, but they're actually trying to explain it with the numbers and everything. But if they're not doing the best job at first at explaining it and leaders end up dismissing it because the, they're not just making that much sense, you know, they don't really understand it. And so they, they're like, eh, we don't really have to worry about this. Again, it's kind of oversimplifying, but that was happening. They weren't, Fully listening, when they felt confused, they were more likely to dismiss it than really take it seriously. And so, listening and going out of your way to say, okay, tell me more, help me understand, versus going, eh, I don't really think this matters. On a team level, that's critical. And Sunira, you know, we've talked so much at Fat Merchant about listening. We talk about levels of listening. You know, how do you do this? How do you get through initial defenses to truly hear what somebody else is saying? And so, that was a a huge element. And then, as a psychologist, the thing that fascinated me the most was at the self level. So we talk about culture from the inside out. Everything starts with the self. And, you know, it, it breaks my heart every time I talk about this, but the the way that, that things were going down during the mission, at a certain point, these these engineers were told that they needed to just stop and, and let it go. And essentially they feared that it could have a negative impact on their career if they wouldn't drop it. Um, you know, Linda Ham was was quoted as saying in one of their flight review meetings that they just didn't know that there's nothing that they could really do about it during flight. And so therefore it wasn't an issue. And so to have that sort of be shut down and then be told explicitly or implicitly, like you got to let this go, when they themselves aren't totally sure what might happen, they ultimately had this intrapersonal fear that means fear that they're not even fully aware of that stopped them from continuing to speak up. So you've got some of the smartest people in the world. You've got literal rocket scientists who their, their human-based subconscious fear stopped them from speaking up. And that's in the case where it's life and death. And they didn't know that for sure, right? Nobody knew anything for sure. So imagine in any other organization, most of which you're not actually looking at life and death. How often do you think the employees go, eh, you know what, I'm just gonna, I won't speak up about this. I don't wanna put my neck out there. I don't wanna put my head on the chopping block. Like I'm not gonna risk pissing off leadership. And so I'll just stay quiet. And that type of thing becomes really insidious in organizations. And so a big part of what we do, both when we were at NASA and then now in working with companies is help people understand what are their self-based fears? What are the insecurities that get triggered for them in conversations with other human beings that stop them from being fully open stop them from being fully authentic and we help them to cultivate the skills and the courage to actually speak their truth i think that's so
1: powerful and even just every time i've heard this story a few times now and every single time i hear the nasa story it really does strike you know something in me that something could have been prevented if one people felt that they could speak up and two if they were actually Ultimately listened to, or felt that they they had leadership, or they had an environment that they could have open dialogue, and a lot of things could have been prevented. And it wasn't just about one person; it was all the little micro things that took place that ended up causing one of the most tragic accidents. But it could have all been prevented if there was a strong culture of communication and transparency, even in an organization that is filled with the smartest people in the entire world. Right, and it it just really strikes a chord in me. So I I really want to talk about when you talk about the fear, right? At the end of it, the root cause of so many things, even like remove the team level stuff. Let's get down to like this, the entrepreneurs, like, you know, all of us that Mm -hmm. are listening. And there's so many limiting beliefs and there's so many fears. Let's talk about kind of like some of the things that you spend a lot of time with all types of executives and really, really successful leaders. What are some of those fears that constantly come up
0: that you see? So the first thing that I want to do is normalize fear, Like I I throw that word around a ton, as you know, (laughs) and I feel like for you, you're like, yeah, we're afraid of a lot of stuff. You know, it doesn't, there's no reaction there, but for a lot of people, they actually have resistance to the idea that they're afraid. They have some kind of really strong negative connotation with fear. Um, And if you're not willing to recognize the way in which fear is affecting you, then it will forever affect you. So the way I like to normalize it is just remind people, like we have evolved to be Fearful creatures. And our fear is not all horrible. Like back in the day, it used to really keep us safe, right? I'm maybe not going to go pet that saber-toothed tiger over there. I'm a little afraid. I'm going to hide behind this rock. And then, hey, I'm able to procreate and, you know, pass down my seed. And so that whole, like, you know what, I'm a little afraid, that actually became necessary for our survival as a species. So we all have fear. We all have fear. And I think that's the most important thing to start with. Just recognize that. Maybe work through whatever issues you have if it triggers like. I'm not afraid because no, we're all afraid. And it's actually not even about getting rid of fear. It's about being courageous in the face of fear. So, and then as far as what what types of fears we have, the the most challenging fears are the ones that come back to our self-concept. So how I see myself, part of that is in my conscious awareness and part of it's in my subconscious. So I've got certain stories or ideas about who I am or how I am or what I am. And if those things feel threatened, in any way, then I am likely to show up defensive. And when I'm defensive, that's actually, it's fear-based whether I realize it or not. And so we talk about it and there's really three things that humans want. We want to feel significant, competent, and likable. And so anything that might be happening for us, um, whether it's just working with ourselves or maybe you're talking to a potential client or a customer or uh, a mentor or somebody that you really admire, like Sunira, I I imagine that a lot of the people that get to work with you feel intimidated because you're such a badass, right? And so (laughs) they might have all kinds of fear in their conversation with you and it's out of a pure like admiration. So, I hope not. I hope I'm not <laughs> giving that off. I see, but I don't think it's about you giving it off. It's just that you're, you're such well, to me, you're so impressive, right? And I think that you have this amazing following because people really admire that. So, even when it's like from this place of such positivity and admiration, we can become so concerned. You know, if, if I'm in conversation with you and I'm afraid of you not liking me subconsciously that means well, like i'm afraid i'm not actually likable fundamentally and if you don't like me that's maybe evidence or proof of that and that's going to be so scary to me that i might struggle to say no to you when i really do want to say no or when i have genuine concerns about my ability to like you know meet the commitment that you're asking for or whatever that is that kind of stuff happens in all kinds of relationships where people say yes to things that they really want to say no to we call it people pleasing Right. Mm-hmm. And so the fear is what's going to happen in this dynamic? Will this person think that I'm not competent because I'm saying no? Will they not like me because I'm not being accommodating? You know, will they start cutting me out of their life and I won't be important to them anymore if I'm not just saying yes and giving them what they want all the time? So like that's that's one example that really kind of hits on those three things. I think that's,
1: I think that what you talked about, the levels of fear of like where it comes from is, you know, I want to repeat that again. So it is being competent, likable. And what was the third one? Significant. Significant. Yes. Significant, likable, um, and competent. And it's so true. I mean, on every level of my entire life, I mean, I'm just going to put myself in this, in this position. Um, still I have fear of that even today. Like it doesn't matter. Like I've, you know, I don't want to say that I haven't worked through it, um, but it's still a constant, like that is like the base fundamental of why we exist as creatures, right? Like we want to feel all three of those things and yeah. it's, it's normal, right? Like that's, that's the whole point I think that you're trying to make that it's very, very normal and it comes on at every different level. How do I stop myself from getting in this um, like fear-based mindset all the time of like, I'm not good enough or I'm not competent enough. Like what are some tools that um, we can do to, like, that we can overcome that?
0: Yeah. Well, so, and I, I love that you're acknowledging that you still have the fear because that, that means you're still human. So, you know, congrats on that. (laughs) Like, and that's, that's really big. Like, it's really not about getting rid of the fear. It's the awareness that you're describing is what's so critically important. So once I'm able to identify for myself, like, oh, okay, this is that fear. That is that fear voice. That's that mean inner critic voice that's trying to tell me to do this thing or not do this thing, that awareness becomes a pivotal point where I now get to engage my consciousness and make a conscious choice. Now, you know, I talk about this stuff all the time, like all day, every day, even in my personal life, I talk about this stuff all the time. And I'm not going to tell you that every single time I make a decision, I'm I'm not letting fear rule me. That's not the case at all. It's that way more than I used to, I'm able to notice when I have fear. And now I'm making a conscious choice rather than letting the fear drive me. So one of my favorite um, pragmatic tools that I talk about is this idea of coping. So part of what we assert is that there's really only one fear. Yeah, I mean, yes, significant, competent, likable—that's how we want to feel. But the real fear isn't about what might happen. The fear is that I cannot cope with what will happen. Hmm. because we're not looking to actually change everything in the world around us such that nothing ever goes bad or wrong. You know, I mean, that's, that would be a really painful way to live actually, because things are going to happen outside your control all the time. So if I can focus instead on my ability to cope with what might happen, generally I find, oh my gosh, that gives me so much courage. Because even if it's like, you know what, maybe I wouldn't like that. Like, I'll just go back to this, you know, small example. Like, let's say you're asking me to do something and I find myself afraid to say no. I can think it through. I can go, okay, so if I say no, what might happen? Okay, even if I'm looking at kind of like reasonable worst case scenario, she might feel angry at me. She might feel disappointed in me, you know. um, Maybe she won't want to work with me anymore. So those are all sort of like worst case scenarios. And so the question can become, okay, so if that were to happen, can I cope with that? and what would that coping look like? And normally people can find like, oh man, I've been able to cope with things like that and so much more. So yeah, I can cope with it. I may not love it. I may not like it, but I can cope with it. And that's really the more important question to ask. I mean, your listeners, these people who are entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs or in, you know, wanting to be entrepreneurs, the ability to be courageous in the face of fear is everything. And so thinking about your own copability is really, really important. It gives you the power to focus your energy on what you can control, which is yourself. So instead of me trying to like manipulate in the conversation where I'm kind of saying no to you, but not really saying no to you, or I'm trying to just throw all, you know, we talk about the squiggly line, right? Like just be really sort of opaque in my communication. And you're like, what is happening? To try to get you to feel a certain kind of way, I can actually instead focus on, well, how can I cope even if this goes in the, the way that I don't want it to go? I love it. I think that the perfect kind of way that I, I think about it
1: is like, what's the worst that can happen, right? Like <laughs> that's kind of like the coping mechanism of if I do say no, right? Like, and that's, that's a lot of the struggle. I, you know, even just as I struggled with it so much, I felt like I'm always a people pleaser. I felt like I was such a yes person to everything and everyone. And I wasn't able to focus on my business or get the right things done, move the needle in the right direction. Cause I'm completely spread so thin. And we started practicing just saying the word, no, like something so simple of me recognizing, and you guys have heard me talk about this on Instagram. And it's like my three bucket principle and everything else that falls outside of that bucket. I have to say no to, otherwise I'm not going to be ultimately happy because I don't have enough time to, this is the three things that fulfill me. And this is what, this is what I'm going to do. So I have to say no to all else. And at first it was like the most scary thing ever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, just try it. Just say, no, what's the worst that's going to happen? And then something came up and somebody asked me to go somewhere, speak somewhere, do something. And I said, no, I can't. And it was like the hardest thing ever. And then, you know what happened? Hmm. Nothing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nothing. They were like, okay, no problem. Right. (laughs) Oh, it's such a great example. I love it. And, And this is where, you know, this is why I think, I mean, essentially a lot of what I'm doing is I'm teaching leaders more about psychology because the more leaders and entrepreneurs understand their own brains, the more they're going to be able to create the life they want. And so a piece I like to highlight here is that because we're so fear-based, our brain has like kept us safe by trying to imagine the worst case scenario and then actually amplifying it. Like having that, you know, I'm on the lookout for threat. That's how we've evolved. And so your brain is almost always going to create a much worse, worst case scenario. Then what really happens? And most of the time, people describe exactly what you're saying, Sunira. Where not only was it like not a disaster, but it was fine. Or in some cases, it's better. Like this whole people pleasing thing, I think is is so big because you know women in particular are that much more um, subject to it. And actually, when we're able to tell somebody no, it helps them to trust our yes. It's it sets a boundary. Even being able to look at like. Not just the worst case scenario, but what's the positive outcome Mm -hmm. that could happen? It's kind of like that, you know, to interrupt the negative self-talk to be like, what if it worked out? (laughs) You know, what if? And give yourself time to think about that, to counteract your brain's focus on fear. I love it. There's like two concepts that I'm like dying
1: to jump into right now Mm -hmm. is really on active listening and communication. Right. So I think that sometimes we've, you know, something that I've learned is that I think that I'm being a good listener and I'm absolutely not. I'm only hearing what I want to hear and I'm only
0: validating my own story in my head. Right. Yeah, oh, gosh, and there's so many variables so many, here. So many concepts. <laughs> so, and defensiveness. When you talk about defensiveness, so I'll talk about defensiveness in the context of listening because okay. the two pair so well, as you know. So, um, you guys, uh, just get ready, pull out your notepads. I will say yeah. that these, like these, like four concepts,
1: like really, really, it's really going to help all of us as not only as entrepreneurs, but just showing up as better humans, even for like our partners and spouses and family. Oh, it's so just, true.
0: Like it's all so human good. relationships, almost every client I've ever had is like, "Oh man, like my family is benefiting at least as much as my company from all of this." <laughs> like Faisal, 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 literally calls it, isn't it's an adjective? He's like, "Are you doing a Laura? Like, are you Lauraing me right now?
1: Like, <laughs> is this like he like describes and like, yep, yep, that's what's happening."
0: Yeah, I heard about that from another one of our our um, our clients in Orlando that they're like, "Okay, I'm going to doctor Laura you right now." <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, I've become a verb. Okay. Um, And these concepts are definitely not all mine. I'm just the delivery mechanism. Okay. So listening. So especially when we have um, potential conflict or potential disagreement, defenses can get triggered. And when defenses are triggered, we actually usually don't know it. Sometimes we're so defensive that we we know it and we acknowledge it. But the the challenging thing about defensiveness is that we don't recognize that there's fear present. We actually usually feel very justified and however it is that we are showing up. We tell ourselves, this is how I have to show up, or I've, I've had so much success in showing up this way. People-pleasing is actually a form of defensiveness. I, if I'm people-pleasing, I'm saying yes to something I don't want to say yes to. Yeah. Can, um, you, can you kind of talk about what our defenses Like what is defensiveness if it is one more meta up? Right. So defensiveness is I am protecting myself from the feelings about me that I don't want to feel. So I'm never actually defending myself against you or anybody else. It's that when something's happening around me, I have a story in my head and it's probably subconscious, at least at first, that story triggers an emotional response. It triggers actually that biological fear in us. And so that's why, as you know, scenario we ask people to really pay attention to their physiology, like what's happening in your body. What do you notice? It's going to be your first signal that you're maybe not in the best collaborative mode because your insecurity is triggered. And so defensiveness is actually stifling that painful negative story that you have inside about you by distorting your reality. (laughs) Does that make sense? Say that again. (laughs) So defenses are defending us against the internal feelings that we don't want to feel. And we distort our reality in order to not become aware of those negative self feelings. How do we do that? Like, What are we doing? Is that how is that is that how we're like showing up? and well, that so, is the act of the defense. like that is like the the different types of defenses the defenses because they're so stealthy. as you know, like um you know we one of the the forms we use, and I'm happy to share it with your listeners is the science of defensiveness survey. It's a one pager it's been put together for years of people going through this work and identifying like, oh, you know what? sometimes when I'm defensive, it it looks like this. like for me, it might look like loss of humor, you know we're having a conversation and somebody makes a joke, but I, I, I can't laugh right now because I'm just, I'm feeling too serious. Or it could look like being too nice, people-pleasing. And it's always about like, there's something internally that I'm working really hard to not feel. And it manifests as something that's less than collaborative, whether it means that I'm withdrawing from the conversation, or I might find myself getting like really antagonistic and kind of hostile with you, which is probably also mm-hmm. going to, you know, end the conflict or I might choose a path of, um, just like avoiding or neutrality, which is kind of withdrawal, depending on how you look at it. So defend, like, let me, let me tie it into listening and let's see if that can make some things click. So if somebody is saying something to me and immediately I have a different opinion. Okay. So there could be conflict here. Conflict is not bad. Healthy conflict is actually really critical in an organization. Um, what I might want to do is what we call level one listening is um no, you're wrong <laughs> right and and I might be doing that from a very positive place. It might be a very like benevolent place where I'm like, "Oh no, 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 you just don't understand reality, and so then level two becomes you know well, you shouldn't feel that way um and then so I'm invalidating your your feelings right and your thoughts and wherever they they have come from, even though I probably don't fully understand them yet. And then level three is like, well, let me tell you how it is. So those levels are defenses that level one, level two, level three, there's something about what you're saying that I'm not letting in. And I don't actually want to take the time to understand what you're saying. I simply want the conversation to go away. I want it to go in the direction that I want it to go. And it's stealthy because it happens even when we have a positive intent. I might think like, oh, no, you just have a little bit of wrong information All you need is this right information and that's going to solve the problem. But that's not how human beings work because, you know, we are meaning-making machines. And so whatever meaning people are putting on what's happening, they're understanding the situation. You just telling them that's not how it is almost never solves the actual problem. And so what you want to do as a, a listener, that's where you're not coming from a place of defensiveness, where you're truly open, you're paying attention to the human being in front of you, and you're not making it about you, that's one of like one of our catchphrases. I love that. Listen like it's not about you. I love that so much. I want you to say that again. <laughs> listen like it's not about you. Just listen to this human being in front of you who is speaking about their experience, their truth, their perception. It doesn't matter if it's quote unquote wrong. Look, we're all wrong. Like let go of the idea that there's some kind of right or wrong when we're talking about, you know, human experience. So when you get to level 4, it's tell me more. I want to understand. And this is a beautiful choice instead of no you're wrong. So if you're saying something to me and I'm like, "Oh no no, that's not true in my head." Instead of just shutting you down, I can say, "Okay, so it doesn't seem the same as what I think I know, but but tell me more. Help me understand." And like this is a great example of, you know, what was missing in that example we talked about with with NASA right if there was more of that tell me more help me understand versus like no 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 it's not an issue or we don't have to worry about that or that's not what the data say and just shutting it down then we can actually we learn we're learning we're keeping the communication channel open and we're understanding at a deeper level actually why does this person think what they think where did that come from as a leader that's really important to know and by practicing that level 4 level 5 listening and not making it about me I can really just focus on what they're saying and what's important to them.
1: I absolutely, this is totally game changer. This was definitely really, really game changer for me. And it takes a lot of practice, right? So it doesn't just happen overnight. Even through my entire journey, it's like, it's a muscle that I have to constantly flex and practice um, and have these tools. So before I just come and take over the room and, and start explaining my ideas or cutting somebody off to say, hey, actually, this is what it is. I have to be cognizant of the human that's in front of me and their experience and what what their truth is and what where they're coming from. And, and it, I think that's probably like the biggest lesson
0: that I've been able to capture on like a day to day, does no matter what human I'm with. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to root yourself. It's just focus on the human being in front of you. Remember that they're a human being, and if you're able to prioritize the relationship, not necessarily over everything all the time, but if but most of us just. We, we just gloss over it, you know, too quickly, um, especially in work contexts where we're we're really task focused. And I mean, it's, it's not easy to start a business and run a business, right? We know how hard it is. And so we're so quick to want to jump straight to problem solving, but to try to pretend the human being isn't a part of the equation is where a lot of teams get it wrong. And I want to highlight too, like you're saying, you know, about it being a practice. It is a practice and we don't want people to get hung up on perfection. It's actually a recovery model, not a perfection model. So it's totally legit to be in a conversation, realize like, oh shoot, I just totally interrupted that person. I completely made an assumption about what they were actually saying. I didn't stop to truly listen to their perspective and I'm going to change that now. And I can actually say in the conversation, you know what? Gosh, I'm really sorry. I, I totally was jumping in there and I didn't give you a chance to finish. Will you please... Say again what you want me to know. Yeah. And I also love the fact of like the paraphrasing. And so, I, what I heard you say, because a lot of the
1: times it's not even just about, um, you know, letting them finish. It's really, are you listening? Right. Like, is it really resonating? Is it, um, is that idea really being heard? And it can be down to, it doesn't have to be, I think we're, you know, maybe for some of the listeners, it's not about big conversations. So I, I do kind of want to demystify that as well, that it's not about, um, you know, hard, con- it's not always just about hard conversations, just being mindful of, of
0: even day to day. Absolutely. And it really is a practice. I mean, you know, I literally have the word journey tattooed on my wrist because it's such, it's just, I, I wanted that level of a permanent reminder for myself that I'm going to make mistakes constantly. I'm going to forget things, that I know I am going to fail to apply concepts that I teach. It's going to happen all the time. And if I can continue to focus on learning all the time and focus on recovery, recovery is actually so magical. Like this tell me if this feels true for you too, Sanira. Whether we're talking about uh, you know, a romantic relationship or a professional relationship or a platonic relationship, if I have not gone through any kind of conflict with somebody, then I probably don't feel like they are close to me a close friend a close colleague if we haven't gotten through some kind of conflict and been able to you know recover from that then there's just an element of depth that's missing and so sometimes you know when we are making these mistakes we're failing to apply the things that we we know but forget those are some of the most beautiful beautiful opportunities to recover and build trust and like when mistakes happen how we handle them can actually be these amazing crucible moments in relationships and i think if we come from that
1: lens in any in any conversation whether whether that be like Laura like you said in a in a romantic uh, relationship with a friend with a business partner right i've seen this happen so many times with business partners that just aren't able to communicate and just recognize that because there's two strong alphas right I see that, I see that conflict all the time, but that also recognizing that healthy conflict is also equally important. Laura, what is healthy conflict and why is conflict, why is this important? Shouldn't it not be important?
0: Shouldn't we avoid it at all costs? (laughs) So, and that's, you know, that's the thing. A lot of um, leaders will mistake the absence of conflict as, you know, we're doing really well. Um, We get along great, but getting along is not the primary purpose of an organization. The primary purpose of an organization is to achieve their mission right? And achieve a future vision and contribute to the world. And if we're not inviting a diverse perspective of ideas, then there's no way we're going to be making the best decisions that we can. So the you know healthy conflict is in between the hostile conflict where something becomes personal or where people have become um, angry, insulted, offended, hurt are hurling, you know those same things back at the other side. you know that's unhealthy. And then the avoidance of conflict or what we call artificial harmony is also unhealthy when I mean this is because if you take a look at the NASA example again, I mean this was this would have been conflict. like hey, no, we really think this is something to pay attention to. We don't think it's safe for Colombia to return to Earth. Like, well, there's nothing we can really do about it, or it's probably fine, or there's error in the modeling and simulation. Like, That's an example of conflict, disagreement, based on different perceptions, different backgrounds, different access to data, different understanding of the situation, different priorities. So you don't want to lose those differences. In fact, if you want to have innovation, if you want to have creativity, you need to have those differences. And so the ability for us to have conflict in a way that's really healthy is key. And one of the best ways to capture is this healthy conflict or unhealthy conflict is how much are we able to really keep the conversation about the problem itself versus if I'm making anything you're saying about me, right? Remember that listen, like it's not about you. If I'm making something that you're saying about me, now it's probably going to venture into either artificial harmony where I just shut down because I don't want to engage in this. And I don't want you to say anything that you know I might feel hurt by, or maybe I get really angry at you. And now it becomes this like hostile conflict. We're kind of yelling at each other and we've actually lost sight of the problem we're trying to solve.
1: It's so true. And it's so important to not be afraid of conflict and conflict doesn't have to be bad. It's not personal, right? Like we're really wanting to make business better or the program better, whatever you're working on that there is, it's good to have that healthy conflict. And as long as we're all listening and being respectful and um, ensuring that we're all focused on the mission that we have versus making it about each other, that we're actually going to come out with an incredible product or experience. And I will say that this has been true time and time again for seven years of my entrepreneurial journey. Every single time that we have great, healthy conflict, it actually yields like the best results well, this has just been so incredible, Laura. I feel like I could we could literally talk four days because we do talk four days. How can we learn more from you, and how can my audience learn more from
0: you know from your talents? So one of the resources that we created with Galaher Edge is an online membership site, which is called Insider Edge, and we do these like five minute videos, so it's micro learning. So especially if you're you're early in your entrepreneurial journey, you know you're probably not ready to hire me or bring me on to do some of the stuff with you that I've done with Sunira's team at Fat Merchant. Like We genuinely believe that these kinds of concepts can be transformational for the world. And I know that might sound cliche, but like we really believe it. And so um, our membership site is available right now. There's actually no cost for it, um, which is something that we did as um, a result of the economic impact of the pandemic. So if you go to um, gallagheredge.com slash join, actually register for free and like levels of listening we have a whole video series it's like four different five minute videos on listening we have a this might sound like a lot i think there's like an eight-part series on defensiveness right so you can better understand that um and so that's a really really beautiful resource for people that want to go deeper and understanding these ideas
1: i love it i love it and we'll definitely be bringing in many of those modules into the icon for sure Laura, thank you so much for being on the show today, for continuously teaching us. You are so impressive and have just done so many incredible things for many, many companies and for leaders. And I just very much appreciate your time and teaching all of us on really how to be better
0: humans. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me.
1: All right. We'll talk soon and I'll see you guys on next week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Follow us at CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration and exclusive behind the scenes that you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible resource for you. It's the 7 lessons we learned building million dollar businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you absolutely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast. Why you love the show screenshot the review, and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com, and we'll send it your way. This episode is brought to you by The Icon Method. If you're a service-based entrepreneur, a designer, nutritionist, photographer, educator, and you feel like the only way to make more is to work more, this is for you. The Icon Method is our proven playbook to win back your time with passive income. It stands for ideation, creation, optimization and niche. Here's the deal. We love running big businesses, but don't believe that your business should run you. And there is a way that you can take your years of expertise and experience and turn it into six and seven figure programs that can change lives in your sleep. Our Icon alumni are running best-selling online courses, membership sites and digital downloads across every industry imaginable. And we want to show you how to, if you've ever thought about launching a passive program, or maybe you're just curious what this could look like for you. Go right now to CEO icon. We have an incredible free guide taking you step-by-step through the whole process. This has been completely life-changing for so many women. And we want to invite you to dream bigger and expand your impact with this proven method. Again, that's ceoschoolpodcast.com slash icon.